I want to welcome you to come back next week. We are going to have a special guest next week, someone called Brent Trask, who is called our district superintendent. He's in charge of all the churches here in Alberta. There's some 500 Alliance pastors here in Alberta, and he oversees all of us. He's been a dear friend of mine for many years. I've worked closely with him. You'll be blessed to come. I encourage you to come. As he's concluding, he's going to be concluding his time as DS very shortly, and he's coming to share his heart with us for you and for the church. I encourage you to be here. Let's pray together as we we look into God's word. Father, we pause now in your presence, and we are so grateful for your touch in our life. Thank you for the personal nature of your scripture. And it's very personal again today. And so we pray that you'd speak to us in the clearest of terms, but I know you'll do that, but I just pray that beginning with me, but for each of us, we'd hear this and we take it seriously and, and allow you to shape our life in light of that. And so we pray these things, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. We're in this series, Passing the Baton, and we have this image of the relay race, and we've been relating it to these main biblical characters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, grandfather, son, and grandson, and the interplay between the generations. And we've been asking the question, even as they pass things on generation to generation, what are you passing on? And we've learned some extraordinary lessons from them, some ways to follow Jesus in just a fully surrendered way, in a way that brings great honor to God. And at the same time, because the Bible is real and historical and it's real life, we see the places where they made exceedingly poor at times, sinful choices, and the dire consequences that attached because of that. And today we're going to continue doing that kind of thing as we ask, what are you passing on? Earlier in the series, we did eight messages in this series before Christmas, and we're going to do seven now here in the new year. We saw God saying to Abraham in Genesis 12, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And in fact, not only will I do that, all of the world. So even to this day and in this room, we will be blessed, God says. People will be blessed through you, and we are blessed to this day. Now, at that point, they did not have any children, and it was basically too late for them to have children even at that point, and God made them wait 25 more years, and then he supernaturally enabled them to have children, and they had their son, Isaac. And Abraham showed at different points incredible faith at one point where he was asked to sacrifice his son and he was all in with God and he just showed us some incredible things. Last week as the story continues to unfold, we saw how God again supernaturally and miraculously provided a a believing wife for Isaac in the person of Rebekah. Abraham lives a full life and eventually dies. And today we're picking up the story again with the relationship between Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. Let's, let's see some of the lessons that Isaac 
had and showed us from Rebecca. The thing is, some of the lessons, again, were really good, some not so good. In Genesis chapter 26, rather, um, God says to Isaac, listen, that covenant that I established with you, with your father years ago, and then mentioned again over the years a number of times, it's still in play. It hasn't diminished. It's still going to take place. But then we also are going to see in the life of Isaac in chapter 26 that he learned a horrible lesson from his parents. Two different times his parents involved themselves in deceit and lying. And Abraham lied about his wife Sarah two times. And so Isaac sadly did the exact same thing in chapter 26. He lies about Rebekah, throws her under the bus, and he does this to save his own skin. Today, we're going to learn about some parenting skills. And the message today is entitled, Family Feud. And in this passage, we're going to consider why is it that Rebecca, who we looked at at least in part last week, started out so very well. She was a woman of great promise, a woman who was humble, a woman who had a servant's heart, a woman who had incredible courage, a woman who was ready to say yes to God no matter what. How did she end up how we're going to see her pictured today? Who taught her to do this kind of stuff? Debbie is going to read to us from Genesis chapter 25. You have your Bible or your device. I encourage you to turn to verse 19 as the story continues. This is the account of the family of Isaac, son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padanaram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb, and so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? she asked. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she was indeed have twins. First one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, and so they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. As we read on, we discover that Jacob cons Esau out of his rights as the firstborn son, and Esau shows contempt for his birthright. Then we continue in chapter 27. 
One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son. Yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau, and so when, Isaac, or when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks. Bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob said to his Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, Then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go get the goats for me. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. So we see that Isaac is lied to and gives Esau's blessing to Jacob. Verse 41. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I'll soon be mourning my father's death, and then I'll kill my brother Jacob. This family faces some similar challenges to Abraham and Sarah in that they're not able to have children. We're going to discover in the next generation, in Jacob's generation, the same thing takes place. And so for 20 years, they pray, they want to have children. Isaac and Rebekah, but they're not able to have children. And finally, Isaac prays one more time, and God brings healing to her and to him, and she's able to get pregnant, and she gets pregnant with twins. Now, it's interesting because the text says that in her womb, the, mothers, the brothers jostled their mother. And on the surface, it, it would seem that this is not unusual. Everything I know about uh, babies in the womb is that they move around a lot and kind of jostle mom a little bit. But it must have been unusual. It must have been over the top. So much so that she felt she needed to go to God and say, this is beyond the expected, God. What is going on? 
And so she prays and asks God for insight. And in chapter 25, God gives her a prophetic word about how she will have two sons. They will spawn two nations. And the younger son will have it over the older son. Now, you have to understand, in that culture, this is a monster deal, a huge deal. Because in that culture at that time in particular, the oldest son is always given the place of prominence, the place of first chair in the family. And I wonder if she shared this information with her husband. And I can't help, and this is only speculation, but it would seem this way based on what we're seeing later. I can't help but wonder if she shared this with her boys as well. And if this is indeed the case, and I'm guessing she probably did, imagine the problems this would have created between the two brothers. In terms of competition, in terms of envy, in terms of strife, And I stop for just a minute and I ask you, what kinds of things do you share with your children or with your grandchildren? And when do you share them? Good to be open, right? It's good to have a dialogue. It's good to tell the stories of history of the family. But sometimes we overshare. And if this is the case that she did do this, this is a case of significant, harmful oversharing. When the information has this kind of potential to cause these kinds of problems, man, we have to be careful what we share. I'm the only grandson in the family. I have a sister and three female cousins. My dad had two brothers, which the other three cousins were born. My one set of grandparents, really good people. All my grandparents are dead now, but one set of grandparents, really good people in so many ways. But the way they had been raised and the way they approached life was that the male child was the favored child. And so even though, to my knowledge, they never said it openly, maybe they did when I wasn't around, but it was clear to everybody that I got nicer gifts. I got more gifts. They spoke about me more. They celebrated the things I did more. And it caused a tremendous amount of hurt. My sister and my cousins. What kinds of things you communicate? Grandkids. And I understand kids can be hard to live with sometimes. Really can. Sometimes they can even be hard to love, right? Let alone like. So Esau and Jacob are born. And very early you can see that even though they have the same parents, even though they're raised in the same environment, they have very different personalities, and this is quite normal, isn't it? We see this with kids all the time. One was a real outdoorsy type of person. He was a hunter. He would go out and he would 
get wild game and bring them in. The other one, Jacob, was quiet and more of a homebody, more introspective. So they acted and looked very different. And because of this, and because of the parents' personalities, they found themselves drawn distinctly to one of the boys, but not to both. In fact, it says in verse 28, what does it say in chapter 25? It says, Isaac, who had a taste for a wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Throughout their life, they showed them both how to play favorites and how to favor one over the other. And we're going to see dire consequences come from that in the life of Jacob later. The things mom and dad taught him to do. And I get it. It's understandable that a person might be drawn more to one of the children based on how you've been created yourself and the things you like and you dislike. And I think we even need to be free to admit this to ourselves and to God but certainly not to the children themselves. An incredibly hurtful thing to do. As an adult, as a grandparent, as a, and I've seen grandparents do this too, not just mine. As a follower of Jesus, as a parent that's been given this incredible privilege this incredible responsibility of raising a child, of helping to shape that child's life, of pointing that child to Jesus, of having that child grow up and learn to be all that God has created them to be. You don't share that kind of stuff with them. The parent, you can't love one and not love the other. So we love them equally, but in different ways. This is a matter of saying, God, help me to know how to love this child that I'm having some trouble, maybe even liking, let alone love. To truly love one child as much as the other, we need to do it differently because they're different kids and we're different people. But sadly, these two parents are going to teach us about what it means to be selfish and self-centered, and to love one more than the other. And of course, this creates incredible havoc in the family. So Isaac is with Esau, the oldest, and Rebekah loves the youngest, Jacob. Imagine what that did to their marriage. You're having some issues in your marriage relationship. Might this be one of the reasons? Because of the way you treat the kids? I've always said this. I'll say it again. If 10 is perfect love, none of us loves perfectly. Only God loves perfectly. But I would argue that you should love your spouse 9.5. God, help me to love them the best I possibly can. And you should love your kid 9.2. What I mean by that is there's really no discernible difference between the amount of love. But if push ever came to shove, the best gift you can give your kid is to love. 
If you continue reading in chapter 25, one day Esau comes into the camp and Jacob is cooking some stew. Esau is hungry, he's impatient, and he decides to coin the phrase used today by millions of teenage boys, I'm starving to death. And Jacob, who was wily and crafty, pawns his brother for a bowl of stew out of his birthright which was a special blessing that was reserved for Esau as the eldest. In that chapter, in chapter 25, Esau, we're told, despises his birthright. There's this great animosity between the brothers. Well, Rebecca obviously knows about the prophecy that Jacob will be served by Esau, She knows that God has decided to do this. And just like her in-laws, she had heard the stories as they sit around the fire at night, which they would do is practice the oral tradition. She'd heard about what Abraham and Sarah had done with Hagar and Ishmael. When they got impatient, God had promised, we're going to give you a child. Just wait, trust me, I can be trusted. And they said, we'll trust you, but only so far. And then they came up with plan B, which was a disastrous approach. And she had heard, Rebecca had heard the story of what Abraham and Sarah had done in short-circuiting God's plan. And she decides to do the same type of thing. I know better than God. So when her husband is old and can't see very well, maybe his hearing is diminished a little bit, getting ready to die, as is customary in that type of culture, he would give a blessing then to the eldest son shortly before he would die. He calls his son in and says, I'm going to do this, go out and get me some food, blah, blah, blah. And Rebecca is sneaking around and is eavesdropping on their conversation. And she decides to short-circuit God's plan to lie to her husband and help Jacob cheat the brother out of his blessing. Taught her to do this stuff. We read the story in chapter 27 of how she helps rip the family apart, so much so that in verse 41... Esau is plotting his brother's murder. Once dad checks out, I don't want dad to be upset with me. Once dad dies, I'll murder my brother. And it begs the question, how can we show appropriate love and care to family members or just to people we meet who have different personalities? And we're drawn more to this person than to that person. And when we look at this story, when we look at scripture, we see all kinds of different people, all kinds of different personalities that God has created with different giftings from God. And not only is that okay, that's exactly the way God intended it. He loves them. God loves them equally. He values them, ever that person is, and he has a place for them in his family. Not only does he want them to be saved, he calls every person that's saved to discover how he's gifted them and to use those gifts in the pursuit of his kingdom, without exception. 
And so it's very much okay to be different than your brother or your sister or your cousin or whoever. I have two children. I love my daughter and my son. But if I tried to express love to them in exactly the same way, it would not go well. They're very similar in some things, but very different in others. And so I try to, and it's always been my goal with God's help to love them equally, but I understand I have to love them in different ways. To really love them, I have to value them to make this strategic investment to say, prayerfully, God, help me figure out who they are, and God, how can I best love them? Because they matter to you, they've been a gift to me, and I love them. Help me to do this. So I ask you, do you care enough to be do that? I bet you do. A tool that I've recommended in the past, every time I do premarital counseling with a couple, getting them ready for marriage, and I've just been doing a couple of different couples in recent days that way, one of the tools I get them to read is The Five Love Languages by Gary Smalley, Gary Chapman, rather. And it's, it's written for married couples to learn how to love each other. They have several companion books, How to Love Your Children, how to apply these principles in a staffing situation, some really good things to do. And I really believe it's inspired from the idea they've looked at Scripture and they said, oh yeah, there's all these different spiritual gifts and different personalities that we can see all through Scripture. These things can be studied. How can we best approach these people? How can we best allow them to exercise their gifts? And that encouraged them and inspired them then to write this book. Let me give you a very quick overview. Because there's some insightful stuff in it. The basic premise is, is that everybody has one or two love languages in which they most appreciate being loved. So they have a primary and often a secondary way that they like to be approached and they like to be loved. And there's five that they identify. Some people... It's physical touch. That's how they're loved the best. Appropriate physical touch. Second one is words of affirmation. The third one is quality time. The fourth one is gifts. And the last one is acts of service. And many of us make the mistake, and naturally so, of trying to love someone in the way we want to be loved. But what works for us probably won't work for them. So let me give you a practical example. If your primary way of being appreciated and being loved is through thoughtful, personalized gifts, and it just warms your heart when someone takes the effort to buy you a personal gift that just meshes with who you are, and that's the way you like to be loved, the next person comes along in your family, and you go out and you try to do the exact same because it, it blessed you so much, I'm going to do the same thing for them and you buy a very personal gift, a very thoughtful gift for them, and what happens? You give them the gift, and they go, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's nice. Um, thanks, thanks for that. Appreciate uh, you doing that for me. I'll, uh, I'll put that on a shelf somewhere. And you're hurt by that. 
and you have not taken the time to realize that what this person most appreciates, words of affirmation. So yeah, maybe you buy them a little gift, but then you sit them down and you say, wow, I've just noticed some really cool things in your life. I've noticed how this is one of your great strengths, that you do these kinds of things. I saw you do that the other day, and I commend you for that. I've also noticed about you that you've identified some areas in your life where you, you really need to step it up. And I've seen you making incremental steps in that direction, and I commend you for that. And they just glow and respond from that because their primary way of being loved is through words of affirmation. If you want to find out what your gift is, here's a cool question. Ask yourself what you're doing for that person. Deeply wish they would do for you. Ask yourself what you're doing for that person that you wish they would do for you. And so we ask questions of our children and our grandchildren, and we observe them. And we say, God, would you help me figure out what theirs is? And we ask questions like this, how does my kid express love to me and to others? Are they always bringing you little handmade gifts? Hey, Dad, look what I made for you. I worked all morning on this just to get it ready for you. Your kids say nice things to you. Is your kid always coming for a hug or they want to sleep on your shoulder while you're watching Veggie Tales or whatever it is the kids watch now? How do they express these things to other people? What is it that my child most often requests? What do they most frequently complain about? These are all signs of how God has wired that kid. Maybe give them a choice between two options. You want to go fishing together with me, and we'll just spend the morning together, just the two of us, talk about life? Or do you want me to take you to the mall, and I'll help you as you pick out some new shoes, new running shoes, the ones that you want, and I will buy those shoes for you? If I really love that person, with God's help, I try to find out and respond accordingly, accordingly, which, by the way, is a very distinct act of sacrificial love. With my grown children, each of them um, have different talents and different things they enjoy. And I really see my role, even though they're grown adults now, of, of asking myself, how can I best support that? How can I nurture that? How can I challenge them to bring this stuff out in them the best way possible? How can I give them opportunities to excel? Whatever that God has given them passion for. We try to be fair and consistent with our children or our grandchildren, loving them equally, but in different ways. Something that this family knew very little about. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend what I'm about to say, but I'm going to tell you about my grandma on the other side of the, of the coin, on the other side of the family. And my grandma on the other side of the coin was a real character. Um, she had the gift of giving. And, and I laugh, it's probably just going to be funny to me because of the memory. But 
she would, so at Christmas time, with myself and my sister and my one cousin on that side of the family, she would diligently going about making sure that each of the three children, grandchildren got the exact same number of gifts. And I'm guessing they, down to the, um, as, as close as she could get it, down to the penny, exactly the same amount of money. And so there'd be a time, there was one time I remember, and oh, did we laugh about this. Let's say she gave three gifts to the other two girls. I don't remember how many. And I opened two gifts. And so now, in order to be totally equal, she was going to give a third gift to me. I opened mine up, and it was a box of Kleenex. That was my grandma. And then another time, back in the day when we would have encyclopedias, that you, you don't, you know, it's all online now, which were a whole series of 26 books, one, letter, uh, one book for each letter of the alphabet. Um, and it was articles and definitions of things and history and all that kind of stuff. And so you'd need 26 books to have the complete set. One time for Christmas, she gave me the letter A in an encyclopedia set and never gave me any, bit, any more of it. And we would laugh about this stuff, but I remember as a family talking, about this, and we appreciated the fact that grandma trying to treat us all fairly consistently. Accordingly, we're going to have some Kleenex boxes for sale in the lobby after church. How do you love the different people in your life? This Genesis passage is written about a family that did some things incredibly well and did some things really poorly, very selfishly. So I want to read an encouraging word now for the moms in particular. It's written to moms, but for moms in particular and and the dads you can listen to. Because it's very much in keeping with what we've been talking about. And it's from John Killinger in his book, Lost in Wonder, Love and Praise. He writes this. I believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who was born of the promise of a virgin named Mary. I believe in the love Mary gave her son that caused her to follow him in his ministry and stand by his cross as he died. I believe in the love of all mothers and its importance in the lives of the children they bear. It's stronger than steel, softer than down, and more resilient than a green sapling on the hillside. It closes wounds, melts disappointments, and enables the weakest child to stand tall and straight in the fields of adversity. I believe that this love, even at its best, is only a shadow of the love of God, a dark reflection of all that we can expect of him, both in this life and the next. And I believe that one of the most beautiful sights in the world is a mother who lets this greater love flow through her to her child, blessing the world with the tenderness of her touch and the tears of 